This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 548, a conversation with Jamal Eichel. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 548. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Jamal Eigel. Today I sit down with the uh, acclaimed artist to talk about uh, his entry into comics and um, the different kind of projects he's worked on throughout the years, from uh, projects ranging from New Warriors, uh, Iron Fist, Supergirl, Firestorm, um, Molly Danger, his own creation, and many other projects. So we kind of uh, hit on a bunch of these kind of greatest hits and uh, what it's been like to kind of navigate his way through the industry, uh, both the ins and the outs, uh, and the ups and the downs uh, that kind of went through that uh, that you know progression. It's really interesting, and uh, I hope you'll really enjoy it. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, one last note: I did want to mention that uh, at times um, the connection uh, wasn't the greatest. Um, for the most part, it was great. I'm going to blame myself. It was probably my connection. Um, but uh, at times, uh, we overlapped a little. So that comes out a little bit for the most part. It is a, a fairly good listen, though, and I, I hope you'll enjoy it. And uh, check out uh, Jamal's uh, work, uh, especially if you can, you know, go digitally and buy uh, Molly Danger. Um, it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have book two coming out before too long. And he talks a bit about that and the process and the progress on that as well. So um, it's such a phenomenal read. Uh, so much fun. Uh, really exciting. And I can't wait to read more of that. So uh, anyways, without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Jamal Eigel. Uh, Jamal, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, spending the evening with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Now, for the all guests, I always kind of like to kind of jump in the way back machine and find out what it is that first attracted you to the comics in the first place uh, as a as a reader. As a reader, um, well, I mean, I got into comics originally through movies, and then you know because my parents, my mom particularly saw that I had an interest in comic books. Um, she would pick up stuff for me from the grocery store uh, a couple of blocks away from our house at the time. Um, I don't think I really got into reading comics as a hobby until I think junior high school. Okay. If I if I remember correctly, because there was a newsstand uh, about a block or so away from my school that had, you know, a classic spinner rack, and I was reading stuff like Alien Legion and Superman and Legion of Superheroes and Archie, a lot of Archie. I collect a lot of Archie Digest. Most <laughs> 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 of I really got into more into superheroes first through like through stuff like Superman the movie and Super Friends and like the old Spider-Man TV show and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that because that was for me at the time especially was more accessible than comic books and you know I came into really getting into comic books later. Gotcha. Now, uh, when you're watching like Super Friends, etc., like uh, who's your favorite character in the Super Friends? Superman, of course, the Man of Steel. <laughs> he, he, he was my gate, he was my gateway drug. He was the guy who got me into comics in the first place. So, <laughs> now, when, I, you know, I used to watch. Okay. Say, 
Hello? Yeah. Sorry, I think I lost you for a second. I lost you for a second. Yeah. So you said you were, when it was Superman, you, you used to watch? Yeah, I used to watch uh, the, the old George Reeves' Adventures of Superman when, um, when it was in syndication on Channel 11 here in New York. And they would show that. They would show, you know, the 66 Batman. And then, you know, being a kid of the 70s and 80s, you know, they, the Incredible Hulk and the Greatest American Hero and stuff like that. So that was Electra Woman and Dinah Girl on Saturday morning, not really knowing that it was tongue-in-cheek. You know, when you're five years old, you don't know that, that Electra Woman and Dinah Girl aren't real superheroes <laughs> or traditional superheroes. But that was the stuff that I was exposed to. So with Superman, it started with George Reeves, and then my grandfather took me to see Superman the movie, and that sort of cemented my love for Superman as a character. Wow. Now, I, actually, this is a question I, I've started asking for people when they say that there's a particular character that, as you said, was kind of like your gateway drug. When you, when you kind of close your eyes and envision Superman on the, on the page, whose rendition of Superman mm-hmm. do you see? saying why do you think that it was that it was hard for you to kind of struggle to find your version of the character I 
uh, the last uh, Superman 713 and 714, I, I made that my opportunity to say, okay, if I'm going to draw Superman, if I'm going to draw my version of Superman, I really need to figure out what makes him tick for me. And I, I ended up finding my inspiration in uh, an actor, uh, Clint Howard. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, do you know who Clint Howard is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, for your your listeners who don't know, Clint Howard was a, and is, I think he's still alive, um, but he was primarily known for a TV series called Cheyenne back in the, the 60s. It was a cowboy series. But Clint Howard is this six five chiseled jawed dark haired really good looking muscular guy and I sort of based my version of Superman on him and then I was able to build out from that huh actually I can I can see that I hadn't I'd never thought of that but actually that makes sense <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting um, kind of deep cut in terms of finding a model that kind of fits in your head with what Superman is, what kind of prompted you to go so deep on a on a cut like that? Like it's not, as you said, not maybe the most obvious choice to kind of find as a as a visual model in your head. That's true. I actually stumbled on it by accident. Um, the, the the first idea that I had was to sort of get away from the is the current model of of bodybuilder, hmm. basically. Um, the the big idea really became I wanted to sort of harken back to to the the, the sort of Charles Atlas, um, Joe Weider sort of bodybuilder, more Steve Reeves. Mm-hmm. And anybody, you know, currently, you know, huge in the bodybuilding scene, you know, because they tend to be a little bit over-muscled in yeah. comparison. And I was trying to find a, a musculature that would work well for Clark Kent as well as Superman. And I figured that the best way to do that was to make him a little bit more classic looking is less about cut muscle and more about being sort of burly you know and bulky but you know athletic looking Hmm. so I was doing visual research on that and then I found old photos of Quint and I was like whoa wait a minute (laughs) this is exactly what I was looking for so that's how that came about wow you know, it's interesting that you mentioned it that way because I find that y- you you strike on something really interesting, which is the idea that you know people kind of overemphasize certain of the musculature of Superman when he's Superman, but then when he's Clark Kent, it gets kind of harder to disguise that. But I like that you kind of did the the deeper research to find a body model that would work for both characters in such a way that it wouldn't right. it doesn't feel different. Well, I mean, it, it, I can't really speak for for other artists per se in this regard but I know for for me it's 
very important to find a balance between what the, the, the visual shorthand of comics that we've created for ourselves mm-hmm. and the a more natural sort of feel to any particular character. Yeah, uh, and, and that's just, you know, indicative of the, the, the artists that I've been a fan of my entire life. Mm. They, they've all brought that sort of feeling to the table. And I, tr- I don't try to emulate exactly what they're doing, but finding my own way, but acknowledging that guys like Ordway and Rude and Brian Bollins and Dave Stevens and, you know, Garcia Lopez and are huge influences on my own work. Hmm. That makes sense visually. Um, I want to go way uh, back again. So we talked about kind of your first kind of um, foray into comics as a, as a reader and then picking up a little bit in junior high. Uh, were you always drawing? Were you always, you know, kind of, you know, doodling and, and, and starting to do artwork on your own, or did that come later? Oh, no, I, I was drawing the entire time. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had friends when I was younger. Um, we would draw comic books in class. We would trace stuff. But I wouldn't trace particularly but I had this friend of mine Clifford who would like you know take mimeograph paper and trace you know images out of old (laughs) copies of Legion of Superhero and put together his own stories and and he ended up actually becoming a professional cinematographer oh wow so uh, yeah so yeah he he worked for uh, for Spike Lee for a very long time um but uh, yeah, so there was there was always there was always you know comic book influence stuff around me, mm-hmm. whether it was like newspaper strips or animation or or you know the the odd comic that you know I did manage to get my hands on up until that point. So like I was saying, you know I was 11 years old when I really started seriously buying comics on a regular basis. So that became you know, the, the, the fuel for everything else. So we were creating comics in class. I would get in trouble because I would finish my work and I would, like, crawl into the desk and start drawing. <laughs> and others get up and come to see what Jamal was doing under his, his desk. So I became a distraction in class. <laughs> so... As as that as that part of you develops, how do you how do you pers- decide that you want to pursue this? As you no, know, and were you thinking that I want to get into comics, or I just I want to become an illustrator in general, or or where did art fit no, into just, your plans? Um, comics, working in comics was always the goal. I didn't know exactly how. I knew I wanted to draw comic books, and by the time. You know, I, I finished, but I went to a junior high school that had a specialized art program. And they taught us how to, they taught us how to use computers. This is 1984. So, you know, they were teaching us how to do basic coding on, you know, Commodore 64s, 
they had a television production studio that they were they were teaching us like basic TV editing and you know there were art classes and, you know so this was sort of like the the setup to you know what I eventually wanted to do because even then I found other people in that school who also were into comic books and were also into creating comic books and we would compete with each other <laughs> like you know developing our own comic book series That's and cool. and we would like it was literally like Captain Underpants we were sneaking <laughs> into, into the state office and making photocopies whenever we could and like handing them out to each other and sitting around during lunch period trying to come up with like the coolest possible characters imaginable. So that's, that's I, awesome. I ended up uh, going in you know in New York. Um, they, they have you know maggot schools, uh, specialized high schools. So I. When did took a test for the high school of art and design, and I also took a, a test for LaGuardia High School, which was the high school of music and art. And you had to develop a portfolio. There was an exam. You wow. had to be interviewed. Um, I went when I went to LaGuardia for my for testing. I had to make a choice. I was also a singer and I had a singing test and I had the art test at the same time and I had to make a choice of which test I was going to take so I ended up taking the art test instead of the singing test but I ended up going to art design because art design had the one thing that LaGuardia didn't have which was a cartooning program mm. so I Sorry, I, I, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, so there's an alternate reality out there where you went the other way and went into the singing program. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely, uh, you know, I, I was an actor. I, I have done, you know, a few really minor things over the years. I've done some voiceover work. I've, you know, I, you know, I've. I performed off Broadway years and years and years ago. Uh, yeah, there is there is absolutely an alternate reality where Jamal became a became a performer instead of a cartoonist. And we'd be all the poorer for it, though, right? <laughs> Probably. I, I don't know. I, I I think you know of the there. Are, you know, of the roads less traveled, I think I ultimately made the right choice <laughs> because I hate auditions. <laughs> that's fair. Well, and we wouldn't have Molly Danger. I mean, that's that's the real crime, too. This is true. This, this is true. So um, let's jump forward a bit. So, like, how did how do you first kind of breach getting into the industry? Because it can be a very kind of difficult, or sometimes from maybe from the outside, it looks very difficult to get in, but... I've heard a lot of really interesting stories about how people kind of actually figured their way in. So what was your way in? Well, there's there's two stories, 
long way around, and then there's the, the direct route. So the long way around was while I was in high school, um, I did a six-month internship at DC Comics. So, so that was my my first job in the industry. I was a production intern at DC for six months while I was in my senior year of high school. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And yeah, it, it, it was very, very cool. Um, and I worked. It, it was a very, it was a fun time because it was 1990. It was, you know, right before, you know, Batman came out. Or, no, right after Batman came out. Like, it was 89, 90. So it was like right after that summer, I get to do this internship. And, you know, I, you know, I got to, that's where I first met Keith Giffen and James DiMatteis and, Mike Mignola and Kyle Baker and Mark Badger and, you know, Kevin McGuire. Wow. You know, just uh, all these guys that I ended up, you know, working with at various points or just, you know, becoming friends with at at various points. Um, And, you know, basically, like, working in production and learning, like, the basics of comic book production and getting a real... Uh, a real handle on what it takes to produce comics. And, you know, I, when I finished my internship, I, I finished high school. I went to school of visual arts. I dropped out of school of visual arts. <laughs> uh, and in uh, 1993, I moved back to New York City, and I got a job at Jim Haley's Universe down on Chamber Street, mm-hmm. and I worked there for about a year, but while I was working there, I decided that I was going to go do the one thing that I hadn't done up until that point, more than maybe spending an hour in, was going to a comic book convention and look for work. So I, I put together some samples. I'd seen a, a story in Comic Shop News about this brand new company called Milestone <laughs> and this character called Fag. And I saw the story. I put together a three-page sample. I went to a convention in New York. And I talked to a couple of different editors, including Dwayne McDuffie, who I didn't know who Dwayne was. <laughs> I went up to him at the Milestone booth. He, he was sitting down and I asked if anybody was looking at portfolios. And he said, sure, I'll look at it. And he stands up. And I'm 5'10". Dwayne was 6'. Three, six, four. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very intimidating to you know uh, a uh, at that point. How old? Twenty? Yeah, I was twenty years old at that point. And I show him the samples, and he goes, "Where did you see this?" I said, "Well, I saw the, the story in Comic Shop News." And he said, "And you figured out that he had magnetic powers from a story 
in comic shop news? Like, yeah, it just seemed to make sense. <laughs> so, Dwayne gave me his card, and I talked to a couple of other uh, publishers, and one of the publishers was a company called Majestic Entertainment, and they had me do a test for one of their titles. They, they, uh, they got my, my, they got my package. I went home. A couple of days later, they give me a call. They say, can you, can you do samples based on, they faxed me some images. Can you do some samples, like some samples by tomorrow? <laughs> and it was like, samples? Like, come, like, okay, you know. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was working at Hanley's and I had, basically 12 hours to put samples together. So I went downstairs and bought two packs of Hostess cupcakes and a bottle of jokes <laughs> and stayed up all night doing samples for this book called Legacy. Um, and then going to work the next day and working a full shift. Oh, God. Yeah, so I was dead on my feet and suffering from caffeine withdrawal. <laughs> <laughs> like, majorly caffeine withdrawal. Um, and I didn't get uh, the job on Legacy, but I did end up doing a book for them called Flashpoint that never saw print because the company filed Chapter 11 and, and embezzled all the money. But oh wow, I took the sample... I took pages from Flashpoint. I made sample packages. I sent them to every editor that I knew. And the one person who needed somebody immediately was Kevin Dooley, who was the editor on Green Lantern. And I ended up getting eight pages in an issue of Green Lantern, and that was my first published work. What was that like? I mean, because not only is it obviously Green Lantern, but it's the new Green Lantern. So what was that like to kind of jump in and pitch in on this project where it's a brand new character? Like, it's it's a legacy character, but it's still a, a right, brand new But it was version. a little nerve-wracking because yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything about what was going on. They didn't, you know, they gave me a script. They, you know, they had me draw... Mongol, who I was completely unfamiliar with because I hadn't seen the character before. And I turned in the pages. I had to do six pages in eight days. And up until working for Majestic, I had never done that much work in that little bit of time. And I turned in the pages. I thought everything was fine. The comes out in print and everything was basically ringed and it, it, it hurt hmm. <laughs> it, it, it hurt but I got over it have you ever thought about like man what would I do different with those pages now oh absolutely but you're talking about you know that was 1994 so you're talking 24 years yeah. of, you know, experience, you know, I definitely would have taken a much 
different approach to it. And I, and I did revisit those pages um, years ago, I just as an exercise, just to see how I would tackle it now versus then. But it was a very boring scene. I mean, it was a very, it was a, you know, it really, uh, it really did not play to whatever strength I had at the time. <laughs> and again, you're coming into it, you're coming into it at the, the 11th hour, basically. Yeah. But, you know, with, with an editor dangling the possibility of you getting more work. It didn't work out quite that way, but, you know, it, it was, it got my foot in the door. You know, I'm, I'm always pleased when somebody brings a copy of it to me at a show. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, I mean, so you get your foot in the door, and then I guess for the next few years, what what is what does it look like now? Like now you're you're in the industry, but like how how are you getting the work? How is your how are you getting your name out there? What kind of projects are you able to tackle at this point? It was it, it was a, it was a bit of a struggle actually because I wasn't anywhere near as good as I thought I was and nowhere near as fast as I needed to be. And the thing about working in comics is that you're in constant competition with people who have, you know, more experience, more contacts, more of a name. So breaking in in the beginning is very, very stressful, especially at the time. Like, I had a fiancé. You know, that relationship ended up not working out, but, you know, things were stressful at home because she wasn't working a lot, and I was trying to really, like, make my bones doing comics. And I ended up, you know, not getting work for about a year and a half, so I ended up working at Radio Shack. Oh, Radio Shack. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I, I worked at Radio Shack. I did Christmas Rusher at Radio Shack. And then I ended up uh, going back to the corporate world and working in marketing at a small publisher in Manhattan that did a continuing education for psychiatry and psychology. Hmm. So, you know, doing that, I mean, you know, my background ultimately ended up, for quite a few years, ended up being in uh, advertising and marketing. So I was doing that, and then for a while I was a, an art director and an ad company and... I thought that was going to be my life until the the marketing job disappeared Mm. and I it was by no by no fault of my own actually what ended up happening was the they were they had in house an in house shipping person and when they decided to go with the with an automated shipper in Virginia, because they would send out these packages to hospitals and psychiatrist offices and what have you, and when they went to this you know this outside company to do their shipping, I discovered that the person who was do who was doing the shipping had. You know, the one thing that I didn't have, which was a marketing degree. Mm. But, you know, she was working in the shipping department.
department I was in, which didn't make any sense, but I think at the time she preferred working in the shipping department. It's so interesting the idea. Like um, this comes up a lot that you know these these sample packages just kind of float, and then someday they get in the hands of the right editor, who finally goes, "This is the guy." Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You never, that's the thing is, you never know. Even now, like you never know 
who has their eye on you in this business? And from you, you and never from know what? when the right opportunity is going to come. Yeah, and for what they've even seen you before that they liked. You know, it could yeah, absolutely. It, it could not even be the thing you think it is. It could be something else completely. Oh no, absolutely. Um, and a lot of it depends on you know availability. A lot of it depends on you know the the internal uh, business mechanics of any particular company. You know, whatever their initiative they decide is going to be. You know, some editors are more comfortable working with people that they already know. Others are always constantly on the hunt for new talent. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you do New Warriors, what's it like? Like, what was your relationship like with Jay Farber? Because you did a couple projects together. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting because Jay and I became really good friends, but we were never on the same coast at the same time. <laughs> so, because it was really funny, because when I moved back to New York, he moved back to he moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. From those kind of early projects that you guys worked on together, um, is there anything that particularly stands out that is particularly memorable or that just was kind of an, an interesting uh, adventure together or anything that kind of stands out? Um, no, it, it, was, it, was sort of inter- it was sort of interesting because, you know, when I came on New Warriors, um, they had actually originally wanted me to come on with Issue 6 and I couldn't because I had to finish out, I was working on this show, and I had to finish out the episode that I was working on, and I ended up starting with issue seven, and what I had heard internally was they loved what I was doing, but the sales department had decided to cancel the book anyway. No. So I came on the book, (laughs) on a canceled book, and, you know, ended up closing out that run on New Warriors, which was fine, but that seemed to be, you know, whenever I was doing, you know, fill-in stuff, for a while it seemed to be sort of my lot in life, where I was either doing, you know, some young character, or I was getting, like, the last issue or the last couple of issues of a series. (laughs) So I would jokingly refer to myself as the series killer. (laughs) <laughs> well and I, I guess I mean later on you, you, you did do one of the last few issues of uh, Kyle Rayner's run as Green Lantern too right so oh um, no 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 I, I think the, the, the stuff that I did like was like 146 and you know like the, the, the god like when he got the the the, the power, like the, the god power and everything, the, the annuals and stuff. I mean, that that was sort of like in the middle. Mm, okay. 
I think I was just thinking of so, 174, but I guess you're right. There was a few fill-ins before that. Right, right, right. So, but yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that stuff was fun, you know. And I always, I always relish the opportunity to to work on those books. You know, particularly not just you know getting the chance to work with Judd, but you know getting the the chance to work with Bob Shrek, who was the editor, and just you know being a you know a Green Lantern fan in particular. You know, I mean, I love the concept, I love the character, I'm, I love, I still have an affinity for for Kyle, although Kilowog's my favorite Lantern. So. <laughs> Actually, I got to ask, what was it like? I mean, because your you know your your first work was on a Green Lantern book with Kyle right at the beginning of his career, and then you get to do these fill-ins uh, that are in his own book years later. What was it like to kind of be able to go back to the character, having grown as an artist, and actually having seen the character grow as well in the intervening time? It was pretty cool, actually, cause especially at the time because I was feeling much more confident about what about my approach towards the character, especially. I mean, you know, and I was lucky because the scripts that I got, you know, were emotional and evocative and they they played well to, you know, my strengths in terms of storytelling and developing characters and, you know, and, you know, creating environments. You know, it's Green Lantern. So it's, you know, but especially Judge Run was so much more grounded, I think, and a lot of what's been done since. I mean, it has, you know, not not to take anything away from Hal Jordan, but Hal Jordan is an airman. He is military, you know, and he, he thinks in that regard. Kyle is an artist, and he always has that, that artist soul attached to him. So it, it made it more fun for me working with writers who are willing, you know, you know, there's a difference, you know, how Jordan forms giant boxing gloves. <laughs> you know, I was able to draw my Krishna Guy King in a double page spread. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very, you're right. They're, yeah. Very different characters. Now, what, this is a much different, you know, a much different approach. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. Now, fast forwarding a few years, you had you had a you know a, a sustained longer run on Firestorm. What was it like to actually be on a book and actually have it be your you know you're the monthly guy. You are the one month in month out developing and putting together this book as opposed to being the fill in king. book is that it gives you an opportunity to experiment and grow and stretch and you can I can look back on those issues and that two year run and the same thing with Supergirl and Satana and anything else that I've been on for a long term is you can you can see the the characters sort of coalesce and solidify in each issue. You know, the the version of Jason that I drew in Firestorm number eight is much 
much different than the version of Jason that I drew in Firestorm 32, which was, I think, my last issue, if I remember correctly. Um, but again, you have, you're able to track two years of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, two years being forced, in a way for me, being forced to problem solve on the fly. You know, be, being forced to make adjustments and having the opportunity to look at the previous issue and say, okay, I don't like the way this, this, this came out, but I can alter it slightly on the next issue. And I can, you know, make this a little bit better. And I can simplify some things and I can improve other things. By the time we got to, so we had, I worked with Dan Jolly up until issue 13. And that was one type of book. That was more, you know, of the Vertigo-esque body horror firestorm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That comes on. And I worked with Stuart and I did with Dan. And Stuart has such a love of, like, basic science. And, you know, technology. And that came through with all the scripts. So that pushed me to actually do more research on some of the things that he was talking about, just so that I, that I didn't feel like I was faking it, mm. that I stood like the basic mechanics of what it was that he was, you know, we, we you know, the first issue that he wrote, uh, Firestorm 14, had Jason, like, channeling energy of this, you know, miniature Hadrian collider. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, so, you know, and with a book like Firestorm, you know, there's there were different things that I was able to do. I was able to cre- you know to create different types of effects, and I came up with like a transformation signature, and I came up with you know you know energy signatures for different characters, and you know so it's not just people like throwing like random lines around each other. I you know it gave me an opportunity to design characters and to you know I did two different redesigns of Jason in a single run on the book. <laughs> so, you know, and again, it goes back to, you know, my Jason, Jason on the beginning of my run was this, you know, much skinnier sort of, I tried to portray him as being very unsure mm. to a much more serious and, you know, put a little muscle on him and, you know, gave him a little bit more weight and hair and, you know, he became more my Jason towards the, towards the end of the run instead of me trying to incorporate what Chris Cross had done before I came on the book. Yeah. So you have that you have that opportunity when you're working on a long run, and the same thing happened with Supergirl. You know, my first issue of Supergirl is it's good, but. My last issue, Supergirl, was solid. I had I had created my version of Kara. I had figured out. It took me two issues to figure out what I wanted her face to look like. Oh, really? That interesting. It, you know, it, it it took me another two issues to figure out how she carries herself. 
you know, these are these are things that, you know, when you have the opportunity to work on a series for a long time, you know, you you have that that space. You can't really do that when you're just doing film. True. I, I mean, it's interesting the idea of you know slowly figuring out how the character's yours, and by the end of your run, having that character really be like your version of that character. And I guess it, to make a, it's a somewhat of an analogy, it's kind of like you know with soap operas that've been running around for so long, you have character you know new actors come in to inhabit those characters, and at first it's easy to be like, well, they're right. just doing their spin on that, but after a while they are that character, and it's the same with your visual representation of that character. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely, and there's there's so much that goes into uh, putting together a a visual presentation like that. You know, it, it's it, it's very it's very easy. It would be much easier for me to go in and just do things by the number and not care, but that's never been how I operate in terms of my work. You know, I have to give a damn. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to care about the project that I'm working on, or else it's a waste of time. It's a waste of my time. It's a waste of any, everybody else's time. I have a, a, a curious question about your run on Firestorm. Um, it, it seems that I, I could be wrong on on the numberings, but um, you never did a cover for the book. Is that correct? I no, I did. I did a couple covers actually. Oh, did you? Okay. I did a cover. Yeah, I did. I'm trying to remember which issues it was. There was one, two during, uh, like, the run-up to Infinite Crisis. I, I, did a, I actually did a cover where Ronnie is holding Jason in sort of a, a throwback to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I did, okay, that's right. And it, it, I, did, I think I did three covers during that run, actually. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I found one of those, uh, Firestorm 21, Firestorm 22. Okay, because uh, I was looking through and I was like, I don't I don't remember any of these being your covers, but I guess the, yeah, you did do a couple. Is there any reason why you, you didn't do more, or they just they kind of had cover artists that they had and they just used those? Or? Well, yeah, no, a lot, of times, a lot of times, especially like in a company like DC, you know, they, they want to have a cover artist that they think will, will bring, you know, extra numbers to the book and then sometimes it's just a, a timing issue you know mm-hmm. if, if you know if you got a guy who is cranking out you know pages on a, a regular clip you don't want to have to interrupt him to have him do a cover which is going to take anywhere from three days to a week to complete I guess that's true yeah I mean and that being said Matt Haley did do an amazing job on the co- covers oh yeah no he did a, I, you know I have been blessed on you know all the books that I have worked on to have incredible cover artists. You know, you, you had you know on Firestorm you had Matt Haley, you had Brian Spellfried on Supergirl, you had Josh Middleton and you know Amy Reader and you know you know there there are worse <laughs> there are worse people that I could have you know attached to something that I'm working on. Now, after Firestorm ended, you had, um, I guess, a, br- a brief run with Marv Wolfman on Nightwing, and then after after that, it was a little while until you had kind of a, a more regular book again, where you're just kind of looking for the right project, or what kind of led to that that kind of downtime? Yeah. Well, yeah, what, what ended up happening was, yeah, I went over to Nightwing, and as much as I wanted to work on the book, it just wasn't a good fit for me. 
Um, and that has, you know, I love the character, but I had a much different vision in my head of what of who Nightwing was as a character, as opposed to what Marv wanted to do, and it just didn't work well. And that happens sometimes. That happens with, you know, that could happen with almost any project. You know, you're not going to uh, have the same vision with, uh, you know, 100% of the time with every writer that you work with. So, um, I actually quit Nightwing. That was the first project that I ever quit. <laughs> uh, I, I, I quit, and uh, I got offered... Uh, you know, stuff, I, you know, I was doing stuff, like, for, you know, was it, the search for Ray Palmer, and, you know, specials here and there, and villains and stuff, and the argument was, because I was on contract at DC, I was, I was exclusive at that point, so, you know, they, they had to give me work, you know, but they, I think at the time, they were thinking of me as the special projects guy, as, you know, the guy that they could put on, you know, bigger one-shots, you know. And I wanted something regular. So I got offered this, uh, the Tangent Superman's Reign series. Oh, yeah. And originally I was only supposed to, originally I was only supposed to couple, I think, two issues, like one or two issues. And when I talked to Matt Idelson, who was the editor on the book, he was, he was like, well, yeah, you know, they're only, the stories are only, we're going to have, like, all these backups, and the main story is only going to be 17 pages. I was like, well, you know, if it's only going to be 17 pages an issue, I might as well do the whole thing myself. I mean, you know, I might as well do, you know, the, the whole series. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty actually doing that, because it was the first opportunity I had to draw the Justice League in, in a series. In, in a series. And I was working on, uh, I think, issue six. I was about to work on issue six. And that's when I got offered Supergirl. And at first I wasn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to take Supergirl. And Matt was just like, would you rather be doing Supergirl or do you want to keep doing Tangent Superman's Reign? That way, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, but people will be mad. I mean, I, you know, I, I said I was going to stay on this book. <laughs> He's like, no, it's, it's cool. We, we, we're, we're fine, you know? Just, you know, I need somebody for Supergirl. So I asked, you know, who's the writer? And it's like, well, we got this new guy. His name's Sterling Gates. And I'm like, Sterling Gates? Nah, there's no way that's his real name. That <laughs> 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 is his, that is the name on his birth certificate. <laughs> but the 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 Matt Gay sent me the script for what ended up being Supergirl thirty four, and I was just like, okay, I'm absolutely in. This is this is something special, and you know, it was it was it was I, I you know that that series continues to hold a, a very special place in my heart. What what was it about about the way that Sterling wrote the book that really attracted you to his take on it? And what I mean, what kind of responsibility did you feel to you know make this 
you know, a good Supergirl story? Because Supergirl's had a, a variety of different, you know, iterations throughout the years. What really worked for you, and and how did you translate that to the page? Because it's a great looking book, and it it just just there's a sense of fun to it as well. But how did you channel that? I I think a lot of it was that Sterling and I had a very clear vision of what of who Kara was as a character and what we wanted to do with her and our approach to her. And the idea was that we were presenting her as a normal girl who just happened to be thrust into this life and is trying to make the best of it. So that was my approach, was to not make her you know, overly sexy, you know, not play up the teenage aspect, you know, draw her like a teenage girl, you know, have her walk and move and, and gesture, you know, like a teenage girl who woke up one day and suddenly had superpowers and then finds out that her cousin's the most powerful guy on the planet and everybody expects you to go into the family business. And that, that was sort of the, the, the really sort of like the rallying cry for us mm-hmm. for, the, for the series you know and a lot of it really is you know Sterling as the writer has such a, a firm grasp of nuance and great dialogue and is able to draw emotion from, you know, even the most mundane conversations. And some of the best, I think some of the best things that we did on that book were so incredibly personal Hmm. to Kara. Um, The, the, when uh, we killed Zorel in uh, issue 36, it was very difficult for the both of us because Sterling had just lost his father and um, I had actually drawn my inspiration for that scene from a friend of mine who had been killed when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and we were, I think we both were able to channel that into not only that issue, but in the issue where Kara is writing a letter to her father, and she's trying Gilding Day, which is you know remains one of my favorite issues in in the entire run because there's no fight, there's you know nobody's smashing each other over the head with you know giant buildings or anything. It's just she's going, she's trying to decide what her next step is not only in trying to figure out who she is as a person but dealing with this mother that she is feeling very very strange from and doesn't understand and is trying desperately to understand and ends up joining the same guild as her mother instead of joining the artist guild that her father belonged you know it, it was it, it, it remains probably 
I think, one of the more evocative issues of our run. No, absolutely. I, I do remember that issue. That I mean, first of all, your run was great, but what I really liked about it as well is that you guys were playing in and around some big crossover events that were happening in the Superman books, but your book still retained its flavor. You know, it it still felt like Supergirl's book, even though it was part of New Krypton and all these other things that were still happening. Well, they they luckily we were lucky that that they allowed us to to sort of just do our thing instead of forcing us to really... I mean, yeah, we had things that we had to do and there were a lot of things that actually ended up getting cut out um, that we wanted to do. But in the end, I think we ended up telling the story that we wanted to tell. No. What I, now I've I've read a lot about like the original creation of Molly Danger and obviously it had been percolating in your mind for a long time. So what finally right. what finally led you to uh, say no? The, the, we're going to make this happen. We're going to do a Kickstarter. We're going to bring this project to life. I I was literally sitting in my studio and you know I'm no longer on contract at DC. I'm finishing up working on the Ray for them. I'm talking to editors over at IDW about doing stuff for them. And I just had a moment where I was sitting at my drafting table and I was saying to myself, are you going to, you know, just be a, keep being a shark swimming in an ocean of comics and praying that you don't drown or are you going to you know do something with all these story ideas that you have in your head and you know nobody's giving you the opportunity to do anything with them until now because even before then like I had pitched myself as a writer at DC with no avail at all like nobody was interested in seeing me write. <laughs> but I, I wrote pitches. I talked to editors. You know, I I had almost gotten like the last two issues of Batman Confidential before that got canceled. You know, is you know, it's, it's, you know, just I was I I've always been a writer, and I put it to the side for a very long time so that I could concentrate on being an artist. And the stars just sort of aligned in the right way. I don't think Molly Danger would have happened if I hadn't been approached by another writer about putting together a Kickstarter with them and then deciding, looking at the website and then deciding, wait, I can just do this myself. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
what what was the general reaction to Molly Danger when it came out? Oh no, the, the reaction was and still remains, you know, really, really good. You know, we, you know, ultimately between the the Kickstarter and the copies that were sold through Action Lab, I mean, we sold, you know, almost five thousand copies of a you know twenty dollar hardcover graphic album, which is you know unheard of. about so with Molly Danger um, so when I first read it myself I came to it digitally on Comixology and uh, what was that process like creating the way in which it it kind of flows digitally because obviously I I haven't seen it oh no that So I, I didn't realize that that it was on on them to kind of do that because it, it it flows beautifully. Like I was like, this had to have been engineered this way. No, no, no. That that was all them. Wow. Well, they they did a good job because <laughs> it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like obviously it's your work, so there's it, a reason why it works to begin with. But there's already such a cinematic quality to everything that you put together. But the fact that the way that they uh, that they work with those transitions it adds a certain element that makes it even more pleasing. Um, they take what already works and it somehow makes it work, you know, even better. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I, to, I really have to thank John Roberts and the entire team over at Comicsology for putting it together. So I guess that brings up the inevitable question, when will we get to see more Molly? on two as we speak but I'm also working on other projects as well you know I worked on black last year and the hardcover for that came out and then I'm working on another project that will be announced very soon and it's been a little bit harder to to work on Molly this time because I didn't get quite as much money as I needed to do it straight out to be to be honest you know the the second Kickstarter didn't didn't get quite as much as you know the first and it is an expensive process you know to put you know this the, this book the level of detail you know alone it just it just it takes longer and it's been you know I didn't want to you know I didn't want to do a half measure just to get the second book out. So, 
know, I've had to make up the shortfall, you know, by doing other projects. For sure. Now, I guess one of those projects that you worked on last year was uh, a couple issues of Noble. What was it like working on that book? Yeah. to Joe, I always say he's, he's one of the best dressed men in comics. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I wish I had his style. I really do. <laughs> I wish I could pull off that style. I mean, it's not just... It, he, just, he, just <laughs> he makes it look so smooth. Yeah, no, you know, the man knows what he likes and he knows what he wants, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um... What else can and so you've given us some hints and some ideas that you're, you're working on some projects? Is there anything else you can tell us or uh, tease us with a little? Excellent. Well, we look forward to it, and I also just look forward to more Molly Danger at some point. I'm excited to have her come back. I, I appreciate that, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. Oh, I, I thank you for having me, Adam. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night.